You think that should Bobby Valentine have this job, it would be a much different looking spring training? Well, this is the great thing about hiring him because you're going to get slap in the face right off the bat. You know, and that's exactly what this team and this organization needs right now. I mean, long term is long term. I don't know yep. what's going to happen long term, but right now, whack, Bobby Valentine. Good morning and welcome to episode 328 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. We have another guest today. Uh, his name is Chris Jaffe. He is a writer for the Hardball Times. He is also going to be contributing to the BP Annual this year, which, by the way, is available for pre-order and which Sam is co-editing. Uh, he also wrote the book Evaluating Baseball's Managers, uh, which came out in 2009 and was just a, a retrospective of really the, the entire history of managing. Um, and I've written a bit about managing recently, and, and he's written about managing, and there's been a lot of news about managing. So I wanted to have him on uh, and ask him a few questions about it. So I guess the, the basic one is how, how should we be evaluating baseball's managers? Because it's, it's a topic that I feel like Sam and I sort of avoid as much as possible when, when, we, have to, <laughs> when we have to do a, a vote on manager of the year at BP at the end of the season. We... We both abstain usually. I, I was on Clubhouse Confidential today, so I had to talk about it and just try to come up with something to say, but I, I find it difficult. So how, how do you go about doing it? Well, first off, I'd agree. It's definitely difficult. It's so much easier to evaluate players. So we've got them so much hard data. It's so much easier to analyze how many doubles or how many triples they hit or whatever it might be. With managers, it's much more murky because you know, there's, about two, let's say there's about two main aspects of managers. First part, the easy part, the in-game strategy, the decisions they make. That's the part we can kind of quantify. The willingness to have intentional walks or sacrifice hits or how they handle the bullpen. All that kind of stuff we can kind of gauge. But the problem is, though, you know, when you ask a lot of people, sabermetric or otherwise, and you kind of put them, get, put, get them in a corner and ask them what matters most about managers, most people will tend to agree. What matters oftentimes isn't what happens on the field, but what happens be, or where we can't see. What happens either in the clubhouse, handling players, whatever. Most people I've, I've found over the years tend to think that managers are more managers of men rather than managers of the game. And how the heck do you quantify something like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had my own methods and I've tried a little bit, but all my methods are based upon the, strat- the feeling that we can't ever perfectly quantify that or really get it down best. We can only settle for the, the least imperfect methods we can find. Mm-hmm. You know, again, let's look at just a one-season uh, sample size. That's really awkward because, you know, you know, basically you're asking, dealing with human interaction, you know, how people really get along with each other. I mean, there's a couple key things that, I, you know, managers might try to do. I was actually at a Sabre convention a couple years ago, and uh, they asked, had a GM panel. I asked, uh, it was actually a, but Shapiro, the G- Indians team at the time, asked him, what he looks for in a manager, what sort of things he wants. You mentioned three things. First, you know, communication. How is he able to make his self meant, meant to, his mind meant to his players? Uh, two, sort of self awareness. How is, is he coming off how he wants to come off? Is the goal what how it, what, what, is the impact what he wants it to be? Mm-hmm. And third, uh, uh, prioritization. He said every clubhouse is like a hundred fires need, need to be put out at any given time. It can only sit on the two or three that matter most, and you got to figure out which ones to prioritize. What I found interesting about that is in this, the GM, the guy that hires and fires managers, none of the three main things he said are the things we can we can quantify. None of that's in-game stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the in-game stuff is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. We can only see a little bit of it, and most of it's kind of beneath the water. Mm-hmm. So 
So it's, I mean, there's no great way of quantifying it. No. So in your book, you you kind of develop some some proxies for that. I, I guess you you kind of look for. You know, you look at surrounding seasons and and how a manager did come in a certain season compared to what that team did before and after. And and you look at sort of the you take the long view with guys who've been around for a while and and look for trends. So if someone asks you, say, to weigh in on manager of the year voting and and we're talking about a single season of manager performance, do you? Do you feel like you have something to add to that, or do you just throw up your hands and say, I'll tell you at the end of this guy's career how he did that year? <laughs> well, part of me is tempted to do the latter, because, you know, like I said, I, I just rain down trying to quantify a manager. I do have my method of doing it, and kind of briefly summarize it. Yeah, you compare how players do in one season compared to the surrounding season, see what teams and what players tended to overachieve or underachieve. I mean, that's a very oversimplification. That's, that's the main way to do it. For a one-season sample size, though, that tells you not too much about a manager. It tells you more about, say, maybe luck or happenstance or health or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are trends, like the Bobby Cox, Liam Mazzoni, Braves. They just overachieve for them. Probably it's just luck. Uh, but looking to one season sample size, you know, I do try to offer some kind of answer because, I mean, well, I can't just throw my hands in the air and say, you'll never know for sure. Okay, fine. We'll never, we will never know for sure. Well, can we know uh, with some degree of reasonable uncertainty? Mm-hmm. We may not have a perfect answer, but, you know, imperfection is not a, a synonym for you know, uh, horrible. It's not a synonym for useless. Mm-hmm. So what's kind of the better answer we can kind of get to and gather at? I'm curious. Because I'm willing willing to offer an answer, though I'm willing to admit my answer might be totally wildly off the mark. So I'm I'm curious, though, when when we talk about things that that are unmeasurable, uh, sometimes they're unmeasurable because they can't be measured, and sometimes they're unmeasurable because the effect is so small that it doesn't really show up. And so do you get the feeling that these kind of unmeasurable leader of men areas are places managers make a huge difference, and we're just sort of you know, it's it's hard for us to to, to um, isolate it, or do you get the feeling that it's sort of small beans in the grand scheme of things? I think it's more that we can't really isolate it. I mean, it can be on occasion, but certainly with some managers, the impact can be pretty small. I mean, not everywhere managers get the same impact. Some guys got really small impacts. I do think it's it's uh, and I'm not saying any manager is like a giant 27-game swing. It's usually maybe a handful of games even if it even with your best and worst managers. But I do think that there is something, too, just being unmeasurable. We're ultimately looking at human interaction, what you do, how people respond to it. And, you know, one guy might be, I remember an interview with Kim Leland years ago when he first came to the Tigers and took him to the World World Series, with 06, I think. He was asked, you know, how come he's successful there, had trouble in in Colorado earlier, all this stuff. He said, you know, a lot of his managers, it's just a fit. You know, who the guy is, who the players are, where they are, where the players are at in their career, where the manager is at in his career mentally or whatever else. Sometimes just how things kind of fit together. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I do think it does ma- it does matter. But it, it's kind of one of those things, how do you, uh, how do you gauge and how do you quantify you know, office place relationships? It can be kind of weird that way. So I guess to, to put you on the spot, then having acknowledged that that it's really hard to say anything about a single season. Before we get into the the trend stuff, which I think is probably more interesting to all of us, uh, did you have any quibbles with the the results of the the manager of the year awards? No, it was Terry Francona and Clint Hurdle, right? Right. Okay. 
That's unreasonable. I mean, Clint Hurdle and the Pirates, I'm not really sure so sure well they're going to sustain that. He may just overshoot in general. I might just boo and go more Mike Matheny myself because I'm really impressed with kept the team going for a few years in a row. But really, I can't really, you know, the guy could cut the Pirates a winning season. It just, you know, that's, you know, congrats. The bullpen, I mean, if I mentioned earlier, you know, how you handle a bullpen matters, mm-hmm. that Pirates bullpen was handled fantastically. I got no, they're, they're both defensible picks. Yeah, that, that was one, you know, and, sorry, that, to sorry, cut in, that was one one of the few things that I was able to, to seize on and say and hopefully sound like I had something useful to add was that their their pitch count for their starters was, uh, it was below 90 pitches on average, which was, was the, the lowest in baseball. And, and some people might say that that he was coddling guys or taking it too easy on them, but it's kind of a, a bullpen-oriented game today, and I, I feel like having a, a quick hook, given what we know about how starters' effectiveness declines the second time through the order, the third time through the order, if you have a, a good bullpen like he did, then you might as well make the most of it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it also helps you got a great bullpen, obviously. Yeah. But then again, he's, he's actually the best bullpen in the league was Freddie Gonzalez and the Atlanta Braves. Mm. I mean, for American League, I can see arguments for Joe Girardi because they actually did. I know it's strange to say the Yankees not making the playoffs of the year to the Manager of the Year award, but their talent was just down this year. Too many of the old guys are too injured. Mm-hmm. And a few other guys you can make arguments for as well. Ned Yost, who back in Milwaukee was terrible with the bullpen, had a fantastic bullpen. Was that luck or did he learn? I don't know yet, but I've been pretty impressed with all the things that worked for him. And of course, with Bob Melvin in Oakland. So, I mean, we know how we, we all know how this voting goes, right? I mean, it's the team that, that overachieves or that wins more games than it did last year. And, and so, like, Hurdle next year, yep. if he wins the same amount of games, he, he won't win, you know? And, and just like Bob Melvin didn't win this year, even though he, he basically had the same results that he had last year. And, and I wonder, you've, you've actually quantified manager performance more than anybody in history ever has attempted. Do you see fluctuation for managers from year to year uh, comparable to uh, you know, to any other to, to to a ball player's performance fluctuation, or are good managers fairly steadily good year in year out? Because it seems like they yeah. would be. I mean, it seems like it seems like it would be a fairly you know persistent uh, skill managing. Well, I tell you a couple of things. First off, you know, doing all my quantifications, I really wasn't trying to look too much at the single season stuff. Because a lot, a lot of times, like we were talking earlier here. It was just that one season we so many other the only way we can quantify managers is to get a really big enough sample size, you know. For example, you talk about how guys underachieve for a manager one year. Well one year doesn't tell you too much about a manager. You gotta look at maybe I, I was looking for more guys like five or ten years managing their career in that regard. That way if you get a get a guy like Bobby Cox pitchers keep overachieving, maybe there's something to it. Or we were hitters keep overachieving, maybe there's something to that. But for one year sample size there is some fluctuation. I mean it's one of those things where in part, it can be age. Usually, middle managers get when they first start off or near the end of their career. They can be uh, much worse if you think about it. That makes some sense. There's a little, some little bit, bit of aging curve going on. There's also a little bit of a, what was I going to say, just, you know, kind of ups and downs. Just you can have one fluky year. If, like I said, you try and evaluate a manager based on what the players are doing. What if it, what if it allows allows year for the team? I mean, there's a lot of us. The signal-to-noise ratio in one season can be kind of weird. But usually, especially when you get like the best or the worst guys, like a bit, whether it be Earl Weaver or Bobby Cox or Tony LaRusse or whoever you are, those guys do pretty well year in, year out, which is why they become some of the best managers ever. But you get other guys like, say, Don Baylor, usually suck every year, which, yeah, not Don Baylor. <laughs> um, okay, so last week I was writing something about Brett Osmus, and it, it seemed to me like 
there had been a lot of turnover in the the managerial ranks lately. But whenever I think that that something is new or unprecedented, I usually find you know baseball history is long and and often it's happened before the exact same thing and people have written about how it's a new amazing thing and probably it wasn't even new that time. Um, so before I wrote it, I I traded a few emails with you to ask whether whether this turnover really was something truly historic. And then you wrote about it yourself at, at Hardball Times earlier this week. So uh, can you can you I guess tell tell everyone what you told me and then and then wrote about as far as people coming and going at this point. I'm a little fresher in what I wrote myself for the Hardball Times this week. Mm-hmm. The main thing I noticed is that. Uh, Right now, we're for next year, we're going to have something of a golden age of sort of medium-age managers. Mm-hmm. There's not very many really young managers. There's not really many very old managers. There's not going to be an opening day 2014, not a single manager at the senior citizen. That hasn't happened. I think it's happened like for like two months since Tommy Lasorda ever hit 65. It hardly ever happens. Like in 97 before Jack McKean got hired for the Reds. But, you know, it, it hasn't happened in a long time. Last year, was like three or four. And, in fact, four of the five oldest managers from last year are now now gone. Charlie Manuel, David Johnson, Dusty Baker, Tim Leland. The oldest guy left is Terry Collins. There's only two other managers in their 60s. There's Terry Collins and Ron Washington, and I think Joe Madden's going to be 60 next year. At the other end, there's only like four guys in their 40s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so most of those guys are in their late 40s. Like Matt Williams is going to be 48 as a rookie. Joe Dry is going to be 49. You're going to have, I think, 20 managers recall correctly, that are going to be in their 50s. They're going to have like 20, about 24 between ages 40 to 61. They're all around the same rough age. Usually it's a bigger, wider spread. I mean, Eric Wedge, who's now been in 10 years now, got started at age 35. Even though he's got a, over 1,600 games managed, he's younger than almost everyone out there. In fact, some most of the new hires are actually older than he is with 10 years under his belt. Mm-hmm. It used to be bigger, like, when you look at that guys like Tory or La Russa or Cox, they get lasted forever, in part because they all started in their 30s. Mm-hmm. Not even like age 39, like they're age 35 and 36 for the most part. Yeah, I, I put a graph in my article of the average age of, of major league managers going back to 1889, which was, I think, the first year for which we had birth dates for everyone. Um, and at, at that point it was like mid thirties was the average age. And last year it was like, or this year it was like mid fifties. And I guess part of that is probably just the population getting older and people living longer and, and player managers going away. Uh, That's a big one. yeah, but it, it does seem that there, there's something to this. And, and, and I wrote about this, what seems like a new trend toward, managers with no managerial experience really and no no coaching experience even uh in the minors or or anywhere really and that was one of the things I asked you about and and you at the time said that 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 sort of seems like a a new thing I, I mean obviously you had player managers so so they were coming right from their their playing career they didn't have any coaching experience so but that was sort of a separate thing that we haven't seen for 25 years or so. And now we're seeing this, what seems like a trend towards teams just hiring people completely fresh. Uh, what what do you make of that? It is definitely a recent trend. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, people had that happen in the past. You know, Joe Torrey was actually a player manager for a week. Uh-huh. Tim Fergosi was hired to manage by the Angels the day after his last game with the Pirates. They used to have him back in the 70s even. But in the more recent times, 
Yeah, it's I mean, you got Robin Ventura, Mike Matheny, uh, now Brad Ausmus, all these guys with limited, at best, coaching experience managing of any sort. I think Ventura had like a high school team he managed. That's about it. Mm-hmm. But and a lot of times what they seem to be focusing on more GMs is just what they think of the personal strength of character, what they think of his, his own personal demeanor. And like I said earlier, if it's true that people are primarily managers of players rather than of the men, or of the game, excuse me, more of men than of the, of the, of the in-game strategy, it kind of makes sense. You might want to find guys that you think are better leaders of men just naturally. And you still think they might want to have guys, you know, spend some time in the minors, spend some time sort of, you know, getting ready for wetting their feet to that aspect of uh, you know managing men, in the, even in the minor leagues, whatever else. But I think well enough of a guy, I remember hearing the interview when Kenny Williams introduced Robin Ventura. Even Ventura seemed surprised he's the new manager in that interview. But when Kenny Williams looked at we knew this guy, always thought very highly of him, always thought he'd be a great managerial fit, and he'll learn. In some cases, and you know with the White Sox, they already had a pitching coach down Cooper. It's like, okay, he'll handle that part of the game for the team. Mm-hmm. And Ventura just handles some of the other aspects. Mm-hmm. It might be just one thing I can also point out, and I'm always kind of wondering if I'm overstating, if we overstate this sometimes, the sabermetric influence. But there is definitely a trend in the last, the last 10 years or so where to listen more to the numbers, listen more to this stuff in Serva, and it creates more of a similar feel to how some teams can manage the games. Obviously, not, not all teams do this. Mm-hmm. Not even saying all the teams are hiring new managers to do that. But, there is, but I do wonder if it maybe plays a role as a greater uh, similarity of approach, maybe, could make it easier to hire a guy that has less experience. Yeah, that, that was kind of the case I tried to make in my article, that, that there's been this greater special, specialization. Uh, you know, there, there are more coaches. Coaching staffs are, are bigger. So in, in that sense, there's maybe less for less for managers to do, although they also have all these new media responsibilities and maybe it's more difficult to manage the players than it used to be. But but the fact that the, the front office is carrying such a heavy load or is capable of that, at least with with in-game tactics, uh, maybe maybe a guy doesn't need to have decades of experience coaching or managing. He can just come in and if he's receptive to, to what a front office says and, and the research that it's done... And maybe he'd be even more receptive in that he hasn't had a previous job and he's not he doesn't have any ingrained ways of managing that maybe you don't really need that seasoning because you you come in and and whatever questions you you have can be just answered in that arena. That makes some sense though. On the other hand, I'm always thinking to myself, we're just talking about three managers. Like Ventura, Matheny, Matheny and Austin are the guys with very little experience. Then again, you yeah. can have there's some also, experience I guess, and still be willing to... Uh, there's Redmond, still be willing to there's Walt Weiss. Yeah. Well, true. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, there is other guys. Mm-hmm. There's still a minority. Then again, to flip against my own point, you get guys like Joe Madden who have plenty of experience who are you know, known for being sort of liking getting more information, like having it sort of presented to them. Mm-hmm. So obviously there are, there are guys like that. We got a, a question a few days ago that normally we would answer in our, our listener email show, but but we have you here. Uh, Brian asked whether we thought we would ever see a return of the player manager. Do you do you think that 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 will ever happen again? I, I know that it's been occasionally mentioned. Brian mentioned that it's it's been suggested with like Paul Molitor, Barry Larkin, Paul Konerko, but we haven't seen it since I guess Pete Rose, nineteen eighty six. Is is it is it gone for good? Yeah, I wouldn't exactly say never say never, but if it would be, it would be a total fluke. Mm-hmm. Even look at Pete Rose. The only other player managers having Pete Rose are guys that are 
so much at the end of the career they never actually play when they manage. I mean, like it says, Joe Torrey was a player manager for like he had one played appearance when he became manager. We still player manager. You know, there's a couple other guys like that for the sixties and the fifties. You gotta go back before Pete Rose. The last guy to actually play like every day with managing would be like Lou Boudreau and Melot back in the forties. So you really had aside from like the occasional one or two game player manager like Phil Cavaretta or whatever, you gotta go back about uh, 60 years, we got Pete Rose in the last 60 years. You can always get something happening. You can always get one guy like that. But it just seems to me that, you know, the trend is away from player managers. I mean, it's actually been the trend since, like, 1920. Mm-hmm. The only shift backwards was in the Great Depression. People would do it for financial reasons to, to sort of lower their payroll with not a separate value for a manager altogether. And it just seems like, uh, I mean, like you know it already, the trend is upward with ages. It's now mid-50s, typical manager age. Yeah, uh, Giambi, you know, sort of famously applied for or was uh, in consideration for a managerial job and then played this year. And I talked to some of his teammates uh, for an unrelated thing. And one thing that sort of kept coming up is how valuable he is to the manager as basically being like a proxy manager in the clubhouse who lets the manager stay out of the clubhouse a lot of the time. You know, he can do a lot of the things that you might uh, that you might think a manager does. But, you know, a manager in a lot of ways wants to make his presence uh, significant, so he doesn't want to have to be coming in there every day. He wants it to be, you know, notable when he gets in there. So you have a guy like Gianni who fills some of the same roles, but without actually being the manager himself, which um, made sense and sort of put it in a different perspective for me. And it is hard to imagine like what the advantage is of a player manager. I mean, the only reason it would be an advantage is if you have a player on your team already who you think would be better than any other manager that you could possibly get. Otherwise. Like it just—it feels like a difficulty of of you know time management. It would be nothing but tension. It, it just feels like it would be weird. Like I'd love to see it, but I can't imagine the advantage of it. You make a really good point, dude. The question is, one hire player manager. I mean, the best guy you could possibly manage with the job happens to be one of the twenty-five guys on the roster at a particular moment, and most of them are too young or not experienced. Maybe looking to be five or ten guys even can be potentially viable managers under any circumstance. And what are the odds it's one of those guys, the best guy you could find out there altogether? Odds are it's going to be someone else. You know, there's just a logistical factor. There's not many guys on the roster in the first place, even fewer that can even be manager under any circumstances. So, yeah, that's, again, that's another way to factor weighing in against it. So in your article, you, you called this the end of an era, uh, the fact that we, we lost, you know, Leland and, and probably Baker and Davey Johnson and recently Bobby Cox, Joe Torre, all these people sort of advanced in in age compared to most managers and and long long tenures if not with one team with a bunch of teams and then you you sort of speculate at the end that maybe we won't see this sort of manager anymore if 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 managers are getting hired at an older age then it's it's not possible for them to have such such long careers do you do you think that that that's the case that managers will either be I don't know that they'll be replaced more quickly or that they just won't be hired early enough to have the kind of legacy or, or the kind of track record that some of the guys who have just left the game developed over time. Well, I may have misstated my point that's how it came out. The main thing I was looking at, mostly just looking at the guys recently hired. Mm-hmm. Like the five guys hired this offseason plus Sandberg hired the mid, midway through the season. Mm-hmm. But those two guys, you know, it's really hard to say that hard to imagine any of those guys are going to last long enough to be Cox or LaRusso or even Bobby Valentine. 
I mean, there might be one or two, especially Brad Austin, because he's young enough, but a lot of these guys are already in their 50s. And Sandberg's in his 50s, and uh, I think Renteria's now in his early 50s. Lloyd uh, McClendon, the guy's experience, definitely is in his 50s. And it's one of the things where it's going to be tricky to even, you know, they can have good careers, solid careers, memorable careers, but they're not really going to be like, you know, it's unlikely to be, will this guy make the Hall of Fame sort of guys? There might be, there might be a, you know, in, we're only looking at six managers. We're only the majority of managers never get that status anyway. But I'm just thinking, you know, boy, it's interesting, you know, even some of the younger hires these days, often you get hired by some of the worst teams out there, like Bill Porter, Mike Redman, or if they just go to rocky starts, like, you know, Manny Acta and Eric Wedger, both in their 30s when they were hired. So if you look to compare to the generation earlier, you know, LaRusa, Cox, and Tori were all very young managers, all trying to be among the most successful managers of the generation. Mm-hmm. Now I'm wondering here, it's like, okay, it's almost like when I was looking at my regular column, I was thinking to myself, is this a changing of the guard? One generation goes away, new one rises up. Well, I'm not saying we're not going to get a new one rising up. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm just saying the guys that are currently there may not be the next generation. You'd be kind of in a bit of a lull period. We're like, okay, one's gone away. We're still waiting for the next great crop to emerge. But you never can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, my, my last question. Um, we get this, this question a lot. We've talked about it on the podcast before. When do you think and, and do you think we should see a, a manager with – no playing experience or, or very little professional experience as a player, just someone who's a, a manager or a, a statistician or a, you know, person who does strategy and more of the, the, the football basketball model for managing as opposed to the traditional baseball model of a former player. You know, I always go back to Bill James. When it's in his book and baseball managers all those years ago, he made one point. There's one absolute for a manager. He must have the respect of the players in the clubhouse. Everything else is negotiable. doesn't matter about strategy, how he goes, his demeanor. He must have respect of the players. And I do think a manager with some playing experience, it does make it easier mm-hmm. to get the respect of the players if he's had at least some experience, even in the minors or majors or whatever else. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you need a much stronger force of personality to pull it off otherwise. In part, for no other reason, that the players are used to what they expect more. To be the guy that sort of breaks through that glass ceiling might be rather tricky. And, you know, really... There's enough guys out there that play baseball, whether it be the major leagues or minor leagues or whatever else. Enough guys out there do that. You should be able to find some that are capable managers. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do you, what, what is it about, how did it get this way, do you think? Why, what is it about baseball that sort of makes it unique in that sense in that it's just the, the expectation, it's the way it's always been that a former player becomes a manager? Uh, whereas you don't see that in, in other sports and there's no real respect issue and, or, you know, people who weren't players earn the players trust and, and seem to have no trouble with leadership in those sports. Well, first one I think is I might be off about this. I might be wrong about this. But the only person, at least in the NFL, a lot of guys were at least college football players. Uh-huh. At least had some experiences in playing just in the fact you could get a guy like Earl Weaver, Joe McCarthy, they were minor league players. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as to how wide this way in baseball, we'll just go back to the basics. Almost when you go back to the 19th century in your, in your study, you mentioned about manager ages. They were almost all player managers back then, almost all of them. And over time, you just came to think of a player manager to former player becomes manager. And my hunch, you know, and you get more say professional minor league players become managers nowadays. And I guess that's that's analogous to playing college basketball or college football. So, you know. I haven't done any studies on, for, on NFL coaches or NBA coaches. My hunch is that almost all those guys at least played in the college level. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, well, thank you for, for coming on and trying to shed some light on an area that we, we tend to be scared to talk about. Uh, Chris's book, again, is called Evaluating Baseball's Managers. You can get that anywhere you buy books. It looks like there are six left in stock currently at Amazon.com, so go buy them before other listeners do. Uh, and you can read his work at the Hardball Times. You can read his manager comments in the upcoming BP Annual and you can follow him on Twitter at Jaffe Chris. Uh, so thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We will be back tomorrow.